Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm going to do an abbreviated message. <clears throat> this is connected to what we were talking about last week as it relates to fivefold ministries, the office of the elder, men and women in ministry. In fact, I've entitled this A Woman's Role in Ministry. Now, short and sweet, and so I can only say so much. There's a lot that goes into this. Uh, we could do a series on it, you know, for quite some time, but I'm giving kind of the high points of this. And it's uh, also related to the fact that we do ordain women in ministry, and yet we're still complementarians. And uh, so I'm going to get into that in a little bit, but I just want to say that even though this can be somewhat confusing, spend some time, read, search the scriptures, see what we're saying uh, as to whether it lines up with what we're doing. Uh, we believe it does. Now, as far as women in ministry, a lot of ink has been spilled on this subject uh, related to uh, what's forbidden for women to do in ministry. In fact, it's usually always in the negative. It's always a focus on what women are restricted uh, with and what they're forbidden to do. And, and why is that? There's two Pauline passages that stand out that are the go-to verses that most people want to cite for keeping women silent in the church. And I really believe that these two passages are often misunderstood and don't really say what it appears that Paul is saying on the surface. Keep in mind what Peter said. He said, Paul's a deep thinker. He writes things that are very complicated. It's really hard to understand Paul. That tells us that we got to slow down and really look into what Paul is saying in what he is saying in order to sort it out. And so we're going to attempt to do that today. I just want to recap and uh, mention that depending on how you interpret Paul, you're going to end up in one of two camps. Uh, the first one's called complementarianism, and the second one is egalitarianism. Now, complementarianism is the theological view that although men and women are created equal in their person and being, they're created to complement each other via different roles in their life and in the church as manifested in marriage, family life, religious leadership, and elsewhere. This view, view is also known as the traditionalist view or hierarchical view. The other one is egalitarianism from the French word egal, which means equal. It is the theological view that there are no gender-based role distinctions whatsoever, no limitations placed on women in the home, church, or society. According to this view, there are no limitations on what women can do, including serving as an elder in a religious setting or context. Now, in the harvest, from the beginning and continuing, we are complementarians. We are traditionalists. In our organization, hierarchical um, is a hierarchical with the office of the elder being the highest authority. We have that hierarchy. And we have at the highest level the governing office of elder. They govern the community. That office is open only to men. We talked about that last week. If you didn't hear that, go back and download that, pod, or that sermon and, and kind of catch up with where we're at on that. So, as we stated last week, which was also uh, pretty brief, it was an overview of the elders in the fivefold offices. Uh, we have Paul's teaching related to fivefold ministries in Ephesians 4 and how they differ from the office of the elder. This is uh, an office that's not to be confused with the offices of fivefold ministries. 
One are ministry offices, the other one is a governing office. Two sets of offices. Qualified men and women can serve in any of the fivefold ministry offices. Only qualified men can serve in the office of the elder. In the harvest, we, the elders, determined 25 plus years ago that the senior pastor must also qualify and serve as the lead elder in the church. So we took one of the ministry offices, a senior pastor, and we said the senior pastor also has to be an elder. Because we merged those in that particular role and function, only a man can serve as the senior pastor in this community. Does that make sense? Now, therefore, in the harvest, a woman cannot serve as the senior pastor because she cannot qualify as an elder. In addition to that, we opened up the role of an executive pastor in the harvest, which serves closely to the senior pastor and the board of elders. In fact, if there was something to happen to me unexpectedly, and I was no longer in service, the executive pastor would step in as the new senior pastor for the interim period until the elders can appoint a new senior leader. Because of that, a woman cannot serve in the capacity of executive pastor in the harvest. Why? We're complementarians. We follow the hierarchy that's given to us from the time of Moses all the way down through the apostolic scriptures. So that becomes an important note as well. I think oftentimes, because we do ordain women in different capacities, uh, we are viewed as egalitarians. We are misrepresented as egalitarians. And the people that are in that particular, or opposed to that particular camp, tend to shy away from us. But it's, I think, based on some misunderstandings. Now, like I said, in the harvest, we open up ministry in a lot of different areas for women. And a lot of churches simply do not do that based on a misunderstanding of what we find in the two passages that we're going to talk about in just a short couple minutes. Before we go there, I want to talk about titles. Titles, they are a formal appellation attached to the name of a person as a sign of the office or rank, profession, or hereditary privilege. They describe who's who in terms of hierarchy. Now, although the fivefold offices in Ephesians include titles of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, due to a number of factors today, we tend to use only the titles minister and pastor for our licensed and or ordained persons. It's just the way it is. Almost everyone just uses the term in our particular uh, stream of Messianic Judaism. Uh, they'll use the term uh, pastor or minister. Uh, sometimes they'll use the term rabbi as well. It just depends on what circles you're in. But those are the titles that we tend to use on a regular basis, and so that's what we use here in the harvest. We use minister or pastor. We do shy away from reverend or rabbi for a variety of reasons that I don't have time to go into. Uh, but suffice it to say, the two that we use is minister and pastor and elder for the elders, of course. These are the titles that we use. Let's jump into women and public worship services in the first century. Let's get a first century context for understanding Paul. In the first century, women had very few liberties. They were pretty much viewed as the property of their husbands. And in religious settings, worship services 
be that in the temple or the synagogue, they were basically observers. They stayed behind structures or veils that separated them from the men. The men did the praying, the reading of the Torah, the teaching, the preaching, the prophesying, the singing. And the women, they were to keep silent and observe. Just watch. They had no participation in the service. Paul breaks away from that. He kind of breaks open those cultural norms as he opens the door to women in religious settings. Paul was viewed as a liberator. Keep that in mind as we read these passages. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 26 through 33. Paul's speaking to the church in Corinth, which is a number of house churches, by the way. He says, what is the outcome then? He's speaking of when you gather together in your appointed times. What is the outcome then, brothers and sisters, when you assemble, each one of you has a psalm. Each one of you, men and women, each one of you, brothers and sisters, right away in, in, in the first century, if you were a Jew, you'd be saying, what, women? They, they get to participate? We don't allow that. They stay behind the veil. They get to watch. That's all. Paul says, when you assemble, each one has a psalm. Each one has a teaching, women teaching. What? A revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Paul goes on, all things must be done in turn. And one, or all things must be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it must be by two or at the most three, and each one in turn, and one is to interpret. But if there's no interpreter, he is to keep, be kept, he is to keep silent in church and have them speak to himself and to God. Have two or three prophets speak. Have the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, then the first one is to keep silent. Verse 31, for you can all prophesy. All. Mean the women too? Because we don't do that in our synagogues. Women stay behind the veil. They're observers, not participants. These words that Paul is giving were really pretty radical in his day. Caused a lot of problem between him and synagogue leaders, those within the ranks of Judaisms that had rejected who Jesus was as the Messiah. Everyone can prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all, including the women, may be exhorted. In many, many other places in Pauline literature, Paul encourages everyone, men and women, to participate in the ministry and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Imagine the Holy Spirit giving gifts to, to women and then saying, but you can't use them, just observe. It doesn't work. This is a radically different view than the synagogues of the first century. But then Paul appears to flip-flop in the next verse. Like, like he's schizophrenic. He's going to completely turn around and say the exact opposite now, and you have to scratch your head and say why. And if you take what he's saying outside of its context, you'll be convinced that women need to be quiet. If they have any questions, they can wait till they get home and ask their husbands. Yeah, well, that has a context. And if you don't catch that context, you're going to misunderstand Paul. Notice what he says in verse 34. As in all the churches of the saints, the women are to keep silent in the churches. What? 
Paul, didn't you just say they could prophesy, they could teach, they could read the Psalms? What? This like, this like makes no sense, right? Unless Paul is using a vehicle, a figure of speech, a, a, a way of speaking that may be called satire, or not satire, sarcasm or irony, you know, that would be what we are clued into here. Obviously, he's not contradicting himself. As in all the churches of the saints, the women are to keep silent in the churches. Why would he say that? Could it be because there were other people in the community saying that? There were other people in the community of these new churches saying they need to be patterned after the synagogue. The women need to be separated, separated from the men and to be quiet. The women are to keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but are subject themselves just as the law also says. So we're in the law, right? Where in the law does it say that women are to keep silent in worship settings? You can look. Look it up. You won't find it because it's not there unless you look into the oral traditions. If you look into the oral traditions, you'll find all of this stuff about women being quiet, staying behind the veils, and not participating. They're forbidden even to read the Torah in some circles. Yeah, you find it in the oral law. Women were not allowed to speak or participate in Shabbat services, only observe. And I think that Paul's highlighting the spiritual abuse of these man-made oppressive restrictions on women. We see this in the rebuttal and rebuke of the next verse. On the heels of that, he says, or was it from you that the word of God first went out? Or has it come to you only? Yeah, that's the English. In the Greek, if you look at the you, right? Was it from you that the word of God first went out? It's a masculine plural. What Paul's saying is, was it from you, men, that the word of God first went out? Or has it come to you, men, only? It's a huge rebuke to those that were saying, keep the women silent. Paul challenges this rebuts this, and then rebukes them in his statements. Paul's dismantling this man-made tradition where the women are not allowed to participate. Then he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 37, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. Any prophets here? Speak up. Let them tell everyone that what I have brought to you is the Lord's will, his very command. And what would that be? That the women get to participate in ministry. Just like Joel said in the last days, I'm pouring out my spirit on everyone, on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. All of them will. Everyone will participate. So Paul is opening up the gate and beginning to allow for this influx of what was needed then and needed now. And that is women in ministry.